Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at Supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Hi, it's Brett Phillips here, host of The First Serve, and thank you for downloading the latest edition of Crunching the Numbers, one of our podcast offerings here at The First Serve. You can get your weekly live tennis fix with The First Serve every Monday night on the SCN Radio Network at 7pm Eastern. All the broadcast details of how you can listen can be found at our website, thefirstserve.com.au. Welcome to Crunching the Numbers, the first serve's in-depth look at the art and science of playing the game. Well, welcome to another episode of Crunching the Numbers. I'm Mark Sapport from the Tennis Menu. And across the other side of the state is the bearded one. Is Shay Leonard from Data Driven Sports Analytics who has a 15-day growth going on. Shano, what is going on? I know you like me, but you don't have to become me, mate. Thanks, Mark. And yes, uh, I, I have uh, taken my inner Mark Sapport on and uh, <laughs> I do have a quite an impressive beard, although I'm getting some uh, subtle hints from a lot of people that it's time to shave. <laughs> Oh, you're looking really flash. It's okay, Shane. Totally understand, mate. It's called the lockdown growth. Everyone's doing it. Just got to be part of what's going on in the trend in the world. But Shane, you have been talking to me this week about something that probably follows on from last week's movement episode, which I know we've spoken about. It's got a lot of traction online and people really enjoyed the movement side of the data that we did provide last week. But this week's going into the inside-out forehand and the obviously the offensive style that the top 10 players are probably producing more often than, than the rest. And you've done a lot of research on this and you did have a lot of questions for me, which I said to you, don't ask me off air because I think this is a great topic of conversation. So obviously you've been uh, digging deep this week in terms of your numbers what have you come up with yeah absolutely so um yeah th- thanks again for everyone that provided uh, input as, as mark said uh it, we're really just scratching the surface in terms of movement uh, and this week yeah does lead on really well um from that um with the inside out forehand and and what i did was really uh look at the movement patterns of the top 10 so just did the right handers in this instance uh, so without the dial and, and compared where they hit their inside out forehand to players outside the top 10 and there's some heat maps that that I put on social media. So jump onto the Data Driven Sports Analytics Instagram page and you see some of these. And what you'll see is the top 10, they're actually hitting uh, the inside out forehand more from their backhand side. So a bit further in and a bit further forward. While it was impressive kind of seeing that and noticing there was a difference, I suppose the media question I had was, why is this happening? And, and I had a couple of questions that shot to my mind and, and I did want to ask Mark and pick his brain on it. The 
three that immediately came to mind. Is it because the top 10 players have a better serve and they've got, uh, I suppose, their opponents uh, a week of reply on the return and, and they're able to sort of move around quicker? Or is it that they're simply faster or better movers than, than the other players? Or is they're hitting more cross-court forehands from central parts of the court than players outside the top 10? So I know that's a lot, yeah. Mark, but I'm keen to unpick that. Yeah, so give me an hour to dissect those three questions and let's see how we go. But I think, I, I, I think like, if I was to put, you know, obviously wearing my coaching hat, the best players in the world have the ability to think a couple of steps ahead. And that's the one distinguishing difference between those players and obviously the players outside the top 100. And the ability to think about what their ball is going to do and then what's going to be the reply. Now, when you see those best players, they have the ability to set up what they are looking for three shots before they actually do it. And, you know, we always see the end shot and that end shot is not necessarily how they won the point. The, the way they win the point is through playing a game of chess. They make subtle moves to get the ball they want. Now, the best players always know as well that they need to hit more of their weapon to be able to win matches. Now, you look at guys like, you know, Roger and, and I mean, we can talk about Rafa, even though he's not in this data, but Roger, Rafa, Novak, um, Juan Martin, Del Potro, they will utilize their forehand more often because they know that that's the, the game plan to win matches. They have to use their weapon more than they use their, their neutralizing shot. You know, it's a sword versus shield mentality. I want to use my sword as much as I can to be able to penetrate the opponent's wall. And that to me is the, is the thought process behind it. Now, if I position myself more on the backhand side of the court, it gives me more opportunity to play a forehand. So I'm looking at more of about a, a 65 to 75% chance if I position myself in the backhand side of the court to hit a forehand. Now, if I position myself in the center of the court, it's obviously a 50-50 ball game, which shot I'm going to play. So the best players in the world anticipate what's going to happen. They position themselves in a way that they will get that forehand. And they obviously sequence their ball to ensure that two or three balls later they get the shot that they're looking for. Yeah, that, that's great. And, and I love that you sort of touched on um, that uh, in a couple of previous episodes. We, we have, have some sort of linking um, themes as well. So the serve ascendancy where the, the good players are really thinking about that. The, the next shot and then also shot chains as Mark touched on like uh, certainly in the male game that the more forehands you hit in a row that there, there is uh, shown to be a higher a chance of actually w winning the point. Absolutely and that's a, that's a key though mate I think you know we talked about this with our players that we work with together is that we want them to play their best shot more often you know if, if I talk about the 80-20 and we did talk about this in game planning a, a few episodes back but the 80% rule of we need to ensure that we are utilizing 80% of our strengths and then 20% is about the opponent. Now, if that 80% is is down to 50% and we're only using our strengths 50% of the time, we're going to be in a lot of trouble come, come the end of the match. So you are correct. It's important to focus in on what we do really well and utilize that weapon, which is obviously... In this case, the forehand. I'm keen to know from, from, from your perspective, Mark, is there anything that top players do in terms of movement or early anticipation? Um, or is it simply that they're, they're, they're in their heads that they know they want, they're getting a forehand and they just move there? It's a good question. The games, and I know, I know you're, you're the science man, I want you to probably do some research on this down the track, but the game is so patterned that the ball can only go to certain spots on the court from certain shots, from certain balls, from certain types of shots. So if you if you know the game well enough as a player, you will know that a player can or can't do something when they're about to wind up for a shot. 
You know, the, the cues are not the ball. You know, the best players in the world don't watch the ball. They watch the feet. They watch the hips. They watch the court position. They watch the impact zone. And from that, you can actually tell where the ball is going to go. And they move there so much earlier than the players rank a lot lower. It's the ability to perceive what's happening. It's the ability to anticipate what's going to happen is what is probably separating those best from the rest. And, you know, if we can look at how the game is played. The game is played in patterns. The game is played in sequences. And obviously you're the man for that in terms of the data and the research behind it. But you know, as a coach, I see it happen. You know, it's an opinion, absolutely, because I don't have the numbers behind me. But I know that the ball can only go to certain spots from certain shots. So, you know, it's about teaching your athletes and the athletes learning how to read the game one step ahead. Did uh, notice right at the start there, you once again gave me some homework. So, uh... <laughs> I'm going to get out of this one week without having this program. But, uh, what else are you going to do apart from growing a beard, my friend? You no, need to like, find... This takes a week of work. <laughs> it's, a, it's the sculpture that makes it the best, uh, the best part of what you've got there, Shane. But it's important that we keep growing. And our job at the moment, and this is what I love about what we do, Shane, is we need to like keep tennis at the forefront of people's minds. You know, We need to keep growing as individuals. We are trying to grow ourselves, and that's why we do this kind of stuff, is not just for for our listeners but it's also for ourselves to continue to grow to research what the game is doing and stay ahead of the game and also project where the game is going so as a coach i can project forward but also we can educate people on what the next level of the game is keen to know from from your perspective as well mark so uh, what do you teach i suppose a a junior athlete coming up in terms of the inside out forehand and and i suppose i'd love to hear some drills that you you use in, in practice yeah and that's a good question because obviously at a young age the anticipatory skills and obviously the movement aren't to the level of the top players so it's almost about, it's a mindset for me, really. I teach my players about what, what they need to be thinking. And I'm a big coach on thinking and thought processes because we have to coach the players' thoughts to be able to create great actions. So the one thing that I teach people is, okay, what's your best shot? And generally, nine times out of 10, it's the forehand. Okay, great. Your forehand's your best shot. No problem. Um, how do we hit more forehands? Where do we need to hit the ball to be able to get a response to the forehand? Okay, your job in this match is to hit every ball as a forehand. Or it's, okay, let's play some practice points out. You only win the point if the last shot you hit is a forehand. So it gets them thinking and, and reading the game so much quicker. It's like, okay, if I know that I can only win the point with my forehand, where do I need to hit this ball? Where do I need to move to? And you see implicitly the players start to move their position, as you said at the start, to more of the backhand side. Because they're like, okay, well, I, I can hit more forehands from this side if I, if I stand here. So it's actually getting the players to, to have learning opportunities and not me telling them what to do, but it's almost like me in uh, creating the environment to say, this is what we want you to try and do. And um, on, on a tennis menu, we're, we're in the middle of actually creating a lot of this stuff, a lot of these drills as well. We've got so many drills up there already, but it's about creating more opportunities for people to see drills like this because it's about... How do we get players to to do something we want them to do without telling them? And for me, it's creating the right environment. I really want to, to go further with, with that, Mark, because I, I certainly growing up, I remember uh, my, my forehand was significantly better than my backhand. And you didn't have to tell me twice to run around and hit a forehand. But I suppose, how do you get the balance right in terms of hitting enough backhands as well so it's not that much of a liability? And I'm keen to, I suppose, know a coach's thought set on that. Yeah, and that, that's, a, that's a super question. I'm... I'm Geez, I didn't even even prompt you for that, man. That was pretty well done. Um, you're not as not as dumb as you look. It's good. It's, it's, um, I think that the idea around around trainees is it's important at especially a junior age, and we're talking like 
you know, the 7 to 13, 14, that there's enough volume right across the board. Now, we want to practice our strengths as much as we want to practice our weaknesses, absolutely. But it's about the balance of development. So if I've had a player play a lot of point play, do a lot of point-orientated drills, have a lot of matches, I then need to go away and then add the volume into the shots that they haven't had through those, those matches. Because in a match, all you're doing is trying to win, right? So you play your best shot more often than not. You know, you play more forehands. You might not hit many volleys. You might, you know, hit a lot of uh, a lot of first serves, haven't really practiced a second serve or whatever it might be. And you've got to find the balance to be able to grow the growth areas, which are the weaker side, and enhance the strength of that player. Now, if we can, it's a, it's a fine art. It's a really challenging situation as a coach. And the only way to have the, the exact numbers that you need is to get someone to create the data behind it. So obviously, you know, people like yourself are very hard, you know, financially to afford because you're worth, you know, however much you're worth. Mate. And, um, it's challenging to get people like you to sit and watch matches, but I think like you need either a data analyst or you need your parents to be able to stat what is actually happening to give us the factual and the raw information. And from that, you can then go on the court, do enough repetition of the shots that you haven't hit enough of to keep the balance in your training. Now, obviously, once you get to a level where you're playing on the tour and so forth, it's not so prevalent because you, you've probably hit enough balls in the past to have those, those skills right up. But it is about fine-tuning and you might need to go on the court and do it a little bit of repetition to be able to keep uh, keep up to, to scratch with everything. But it's a great question and it's obviously a, a big focus, whether it's a development focus or whether it's a, a match-winning performance focus that you need to have through whichever stage of development you're in. Don't uh, listen to Mark. I, I, can't, I can barely afford to shave, so... Uh... <laughs> Um, but, but it is a very good point it is a very yeah. good point that mark makes about sort of starting those matches and, and and having a look at the vision so if you are a parent out there there are some tools available you can even use excel just watch the video stat some of the basics of things and, and and you can get some insights even from that so I'm you, really you, know, you know what you know what though shane i think there's another point to that is i think as a coach and i've done this several times and i've made the mistake in the past is that we focus so heavily on the areas that players can't do that they actually think they can't play. And and this is a really sticking point for me right now as I've changed my philosophy to really focus on the strengths more uh, and and develop those a lot more than I do the growth areas. Why? Because it gives that player that really positive feeling about the way they're playing as well. And it it actually keeps them in a really positive mindset about the way they're playing. They have more uh, confidence in their ability when they walk on the court. And it's not just the, the, oh, you're back... Your backhand isn't working. We need to load your backhand. Let's do more backhand. Oh, the backhand's not working. They then get really negative on that. So it's important to balance your training, not only from a physical perspective, but to enhance the mindset and the confidence in the player as well. Couldn't agree more. And I think um, once you sort of have the data, there is that art of how how you communicate that to your athletes. And then Mark and I have talked about this um, in a number of episodes. I think that that is the key ultimately um, in driving that improvement. And it's where art and science do collide. And that's, the important part about what we do, Shane, especially on this show, we try to bring the art and the science together and there's no way you can do one without the other. And I thought of doing a little bit of a poll, which we, we, we might do actually down the track is, you know, see what people think around, you know, if you could have, choose only one, the art or the science of coaching, what would be more important? Um, and it's definitely the coaching because we're obviously a lot smarter than you guys. Right. The science would win hands now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Shane, we could, we could banter all day, but... 
you know, I think the, the key behind this is, is understanding that there are shot sequences to get to your strengths. You've got to be able to use your weapon as much as possible to be able to execute on game day, to win more matches. The more forehands or strengths you hit in a row, the better chance of you winning points. Obviously, there's a really big uh, uh, topic for us, and we've talked a lot about this in the past. It's, you know, the strengths versus the weaknesses, the sword versus the shield kind of concept. And obviously, with your research this week, which backed onto last week's movement episode, which was obviously one of our most uh, well-received. So if you haven't listened to that, go back and check it out. But once again, Shane, your research is uh, second to none. I do thank you for you know what you do um, in the tennis world as well as for what you do for this show and what you do for us as a, as a collective. And you can find Shane at Data Driven Sports Analytics. He's all over social media. Check him out. He's the man with the numbers. And uh, thanks again, Shane, for all your work. Thanks, Mark. And uh, thanks to all our listeners. We'll see you next week. Thanks very much, guys. There's been another episode of Crunching the Numbers on Marks of Fools from the Tennis Menu. Do check out all of the other podcasts on the first serve. You've got In the Huddle, you've got Aussies Only, and obviously the weekly show. Show the first serve brought to you by Brett Phillips and Sam Grant. Thanks very much for joining us once again on Crunching the Numbers. Subscribe to the first serve via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your preferred podcast platform to listen at your convenience to all our weekly content, including past editions of Crunching the Numbers, as well as our dedicated commercial radio program each Monday on SEN that you may have missed at 7 p.m. Eastern. Aussies only and in the huddle produced by study and play USA subscribe to the first serve your home of tennis want to witness the world's biggest football game head to iCanWin.com.au. predict Australia's score with a crystal ball and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semi-finals all thanks to McDonald's Maccas together and loving it TNCs apply